Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles and make your way over to 1 John chapter 3. We're looking at the 11 tests of saving faith. God commands us to examine ourselves over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. It's possible for a person to think he is a Christian and not really be a Christian. It's also possible for a person to be a Christian but not have the assurance of their salvation. And so we're looking at these 11 tests these vital signs that we have spiritual life. Now, you know that uh, there's what we call physical vital signs. Now, you've seen enough television. If you've not been around the medical community enough to know that when someone wants to determine if someone is alive or dead, they do several things. They will feel for pulse. They will look at the pupils to see if they are reactive. Uh, they may try to find the blood pressure. But all of these are what we call vital signs. They are signs that there is physical life. Now, these things don't give life, but they are clear evidence that there is life. Same thing about these spiritual vital signs that we're looking at. They do not give life in themselves. You receive spiritual life by God's grace through faith. But the evidence that you have spiritual life can be seen in these vital signs, these 11 vital signs, if you will, that spiritual life is in you. Just like a heartbeat, just like breathing, just like reactive pupils indicate life, if you see these things in your life, it is a good indication that you do indeed have spiritual life. Now, let's just review quickly the ones we've looked at already, the seven. A person desires to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. There is a desire to be obedient to God's commands and to surrender to Christ's Lordship. There is a pursuit and realization of a personal relationship with God in Christ. There's a consistent struggle for victory over personal sin and Satan. There's a growing appreciation of the power and the authority of God's Word. There's a growing love for the things that honor God, along with a growing contempt for worldliness, which opposes God. Number seven, there is the perseverance of the believer in his commitment to the Lordship of Jesus until death. And today we come to number eight the eighth vital sign that their spiritual life, and that is a person has a consistent and growing love for other Christians. There is a growing and consistent love for other Christians. Now, we'll be looking at two passages today. And in these passages, the Holy Spirit wants to stress for us how important it is that we as Christians love one another over and over 
And over again in these two passages, the Holy Spirit repeats in different ways this truth that we as Christians are to love one another. The first passage is found in chapter 3 of 1 John. And we will begin in verse 14. In respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever sees his brother, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Skip to verse 23. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus, His Son Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing, and most of all, the obeying of His Word. Now, there are two particulars that fall under this one vital sign of a growing and consistent love for fellow Christians. The first particular is found in these verses we've just read. And that is, love for the brethren is proof that we have passed out of spiritual death into spiritual life. It's proof that you're no longer walking in spiritual death, but you've actually become into spiritual life. You see, verse 14 says, Love is our evidence that we have spiritual life. You don't have to be a doctor of theology to interpret verse 14. It is very clear. Listen. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Now, you know he's not talking about physical death. I mean, who passes from death to life physically? You know, we go from life to death. So he's talking about spiritual life. You see, the Bible says that when we are born, we are born in spiritual death. Now, remember, death in the Bible means separation, not extinction. Physical death in the Bible is described as the separation of the spirit from the body. When your spirit leaves your body, you are physically dead. Spiritual death also means separation. Spiritual death means separation of your spirit from God's spirit. So when we're born into this human race, we are born separated from God because of our sins. So, hence, we can be said to be spiritually dead. 
Now, when you become a Christian, when you are born again, your spirit is joined to God's spirit through His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes to live within you as a Christian, and you become partakers of the divine nature through His Spirit. And so John is clearly saying, if you have God's Spirit in you, guess what? You'll love the brethren. Because God's nature is love. God is love. So if the God who is love is joined to your spirit, meaning you have spiritual life, then you will love the brethren. It's that simple. If you're not loving the brethren, then it's a clear indication that God who is love, His Spirit has not joined your spirit. That's simply what He says in verse 14. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. God's love joined into our hearts, His Spirit with our spirit, so we love. He who does not love abides in death. Now, what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about some warm, emotional feeling. No, we're talking about what the Bible calls agape love, which is a self-giving love, which is more of an attitude, more of a willingness than an emotion. Now, God doesn't expect us to have warm, emotional feelings toward all Christians. I mean, I don't even have warm, emotional feelings toward my wife all the time. Right? And if you're honest, you admit the same thing. Now, I know I love her, and I trust I'm experiencing and expressing agape love toward her, but love in the biblical sense is not an emotional thing, but it is an attitude, a self-giving disposition toward others. It's a willingness to put other people ahead of yourself. It's a love that God had toward us. In John 3.16, when it says, For God so loved the world, He experienced that self-giving, agape love toward the world that He gave, it's self-giving, He gave His only begotten Son, His unique Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so it's that love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not brag. Love does not remember wrong done against it. You remember all those things? That's the kind of love that we're talking about that God says when we are Christians, we should have toward one another. And if we're not experiencing this love, it's clear that our spirit has not been joined to God's spirit. Therefore, we are still in spiritual death. In verse 15, John says, Hatred shows that we do not have eternal life. Now, In this verse, John uses impeccable logic. Let's follow his logic. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, you remember who told us that? Jesus. Remember? Sermon on the Mount. Right? If you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you hate in your heart, it's just like being a murderer. All right? So, John says, taking up Jesus' words, if you have hatred in your heart, you are a murderer. Well, what's one thing we know about murderers? That a murderer does not have eternal life abiding in him. 
John says the logic is plain. If you hate your brother, if you have hatred in your heart toward people, you're a murderer. No murderer has eternal life. So if you have hatred in your heart, you are not born again. You are not a Christian. It's that simple. Because as a Christian, love overcomes the hatred. Look in verse 16. John says that love is self-sacrificing. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus gives us a clear definition of love by His willingness to die for us. Jesus has set the example of what love is to be when He laid down His life for us. Now, you and I will probably not be called on to have to lay down our life for others. But nevertheless, we should lay down our desires. We should die to self. We should experience self-denial that we might meet others' needs. And then he goes on in verse 17 to say, Love is to be a very practical thing. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now here John gives an example of the self-giving. He says if you are a Christian, and you have the means, and you see a fellow Christian who is experiencing a genuine need, a genuine lack, then how can you close your heart against them and not help them? As I was thinking about this, and any time we talk about this, I feel a need to give a little explanation because lest we run out and think anybody who comes up and says, I need money uh, to pay my electric bill, we should just throw money at them. So what I'm looking at here is this phrase, closes his heart against him. In other words, you don't take any concern or thought for them. You close off your heart. You know, you can throw money at somebody with a closed heart. You just want to get rid of them. You just don't want them to bother you anymore. And so they say, man, I need money for paying my electric bill. Okay, here, take it. Doesn't mean your heart's open at all, does it? I think an open heart says, now let's talk a minute. Now this is the second time you've come to us saying you need help with your electric bill. Now, we need to sit down and look at your finances. We need to find out where the mismanagement is going. There may be some things you need to cut out so you can pay your electric bill. You've got to live within your means. Now, the open heart says, I care enough that I want to sit down and work with you to help find out where the problem is so that you can get along. A closed heart can easily throw a check at somebody and walk on. And you've only put a band-aid over an abscess. You've not really dealt with the true problem. Now, there may be times when you've looked into the situation and you see that indeed it is a legitimate need and there needs to be some financial help. Then you provide that financial help. But you haven't done so with a closed heart. So I think the key is our heart is open enough that we're willing to enter into their situation 
take time to really determine what will be the best way to help them. Sometimes the best way to help people is to say no. You've got to go without and learn the price of going without so you will be better at managing what you have next time. So we've got to exercise discernment and wisdom as, and have an open heart toward those in need. That is true love. That's really helping the person in a long-term way. Now, number 18, verse 18, Peter, uh, John says, Love shows itself in actions. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, words are cheap. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be glad to help you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hope everything goes good for you. It's easy to say, I love you in, in word, but when you've got to put it into action. He said, don't just be talking a good game. Actually put it in action. Put leather to your love. Let it show itself in the way you act. Let it, true love shows itself in actions. It reveals itself in the way we treat other people. And then in verses 23 and 24, John says, Our love for one another shows we abide in Him. Now again, he exercises flawless logic here. Look at it. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. So the commandment is to believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, and love one another. Right? That's the commandment. The one who keeps His commandments, and what are the commandments? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. So if you're doing this, you abide in Him and He in you. We know this, that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Flawless logic. He commands us to believe in Him and to love one another. If you are believing in Him and loving one another, it's evidence that you abide in Him and He in you. And you have a vital sign that you indeed have spiritual life. Now look over at our second passage in chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Now the second aspect of our overall truth, that you have a growing and consistent love for fellow believers, is that love is a proof that we are born into God's family. Love is not only the proof that you've passed out of spiritual death into spiritual life, but it is also the proof that you're born into God's family. Now, this whole passage takes on familial terms. It speaks in the terms of family, and I want you to see this, how everything just seems to be, to be covered in family concepts. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, the first thing John tells us in verse 7 is, it is our nature to love. An offspring always shares the nature of its parent. A calf shares the nature of a cow. A calf will walk on all fours when able to walk. Because the mother 
walks on all fours. It's the nature of a cow to walk on all fours. A puppy will share the nature of its mom. It will do things that dogs do because the offspring always follow the nature of the parent. Babies share human nature of the parent. So when we're born of God, He's our heavenly parent. So as one who is born of God, we are to share His nature. And I've already said, the Scripture says we do indeed partake of the divine nature. Now what is God's nature? Look in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's God's nature to love. Therefore, as a child of God, one who shares his nature, then I too will love others with the agape love. We have become partakers of His divine nature through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And the Holy Spirit that lives within us will love others through us. You say, you don't even have to have this love in yourself. When God's Spirit joins with your spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is love, joins with your spirit and gives you love for other people. Love for the brethren. Verse 8 says, we, if we do not love, it shows we do not know God. Now, remember, know is used in the terms of a physical relationship, a personal relationship, an intimate relationship. You remember that? We talked about that before. Well, in this context, what's John talking about in verse 8 when he says, the one who does not love does not know God? I think he's talking about their family relationship. In other words, he's saying, the one who does not know love, or the one who does not love does not have the family, is not a child of God. The one who does not love is not a part of God's family. He doesn't know God as His heavenly parent. Why? Because if we are part of His family, we share His divine nature, which is love. And we cannot help but love others since it will be our nature to love others. Just as a child by nature will walk. And given enough time, we'll talk. That's our nature as humans, to walk upright and to talk, to communicate. And as a child of God, it will be your nature to love. And therefore, if you're not loving, guess what? You're not a child of God. In verse 9, John says, God's love is revealed in us by the fact that Jesus is our Savior. He says, if we, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now notice the familial terms. Son. Only begotten Son. John wants to stress again the ultimate sacrifice that God the Father gave in giving His Son. Now, I have had three of my children have become first-time parents this year. And one of the exciting things about seeing a, a child become a first-time parent is that they, for the first time, begin to understand the love of God in giving His Son to die. 
until you're a parent, you cannot begin to understand what kind of love is willing to give a child and the life of a child for somebody else. But here John is saying, look at God's love. He was willing to give His only unique Son to die for us. You want to see God's love? He said, look at Jesus who was willing to give up the glories of heaven and humble Himself, take on humanity, who was willing to suffer untold sufferings, both physical and spiritual and emotional sufferings, who was willing to become sin on our behalf, who was willing to experience the full, undiluted, holy wrath of God over our sins on Himself. And the Father was willing to punish His Son, His sinless Son, for us. You want to see love? Look at the cross. Don't look at your circumstances. We want to look around at our circumstances to determine God's love. And when things aren't going good, guess what? We think God doesn't love us. You don't go to your circumstances. You go to the cross. That's where God proved His love for you once and for all. Go there and see the love of God. And it's through Jesus, He says, that we might have eternal life, that we might live through Him. And then in verse 10, He again says, love is sacrificial giving. In this is love. He defines love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John defines God's love. It's not that we love God first. It is easy. It is human to love somebody who first loves you. Now, we've all experienced this, haven't we? Maybe there's somebody you didn't quite know about that person. You weren't quite sure if you liked them or not. But then somebody came up to you and said, man, I was talking to so-and-so the other day, and he thinks the world of you. He was telling me how great he thought you were and how much he liked you and how much he appreciated you. Now, what do your feelings immediately do toward that person? Well, I kind of like him too. He's a pretty good guy. Right? I mean, it's natural to love people who love you. But to love people who hate you is divine. It is totally unnatural. But the Bible says God showed His love toward us while we were yet sinners. While we hated God, He loved us. If God had waited on you and me to love Him first, He would still be waiting. But this is the love of God, that He loved us first. And He sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation the satisfaction, the payment, the punishment for our sins that His holiness might be satisfied. That indeed is the definition of love. That self-giving, self-sacrificing love that a parent would sacrifice their own offspring for somebody else. And then verse 11, John says, Our mandate to love one another is based on His love for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. If our Heavenly Father has so loved us, how can we help but love each other? Like father, like son, like daughter. We are to love because He loved us. And then in verses 12 and 13, God's not, God is not known by our seeing Him, but as we love one another. Now, He's really getting to the heart of this truth. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He's given us of His Spirit. No one has seen God today. God is not made known today by visibly revealing Himself. So how is God revealed to the world today? Through our love for one another? God is revealed to the world today as you and I love others. It's that simple. People are to see His love in us. You remember what Jesus said in John 13? By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John now brings the Holy Spirit in verse 13. And by this we know we, have, we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is our key to being able to love each other. Romans 5, 5 says this, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God has poured out His love into our hearts through His Holy Spirit. And as a child of God that has the Holy Spirit within me, and He's poured out God's love in me, then I am to love others. In reality, I cannot help but love others. Because the Spirit of love, the Holy Spirit, is within me. And you see, the Holy Spirit who is in me loves the Holy Spirit who is in you as a believer, and we love each other. This is one of the things that you see on mission trips. I remember in going to Romania, going to a place with a different culture, going to a place with a different language, going to a place where the people were of a different socioeconomic standard and level than I was. But you know, immediately there was a love connection. Now, how do you explain that? You can't say, well, we all just had things in common. Well, the only thing we had in common was Jesus. And that was what gave us the love. The Holy Spirit in me loved the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit in them loved the Holy Spirit in me, and we loved each other. Now, that happens on the mission field. That should happen in the local church as well. Amen? Because we have the same Spirit in us as they had in them. And then in verse 14, John says, We give witness to the world by our love for one another. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. How does our love witness to the world? I'm enabled to love you because the Holy Spirit is in me. And the Holy Spirit is in me because I've been born again into God's kingdom. And I've been born again into God's kingdom because God sent His Son to be the Savior, to be my Savior. So you see, when I love, it testifies that God sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It's our loving actions that should be shouting the gospel. As we love one another, we're giving testimony that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Because we couldn't love each other if we were not saved. And then in verse 16, we know and believe that Jesus is loved in us as He loves through us. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. What I believe John is saying is this, 
that as I love you, as the love of God in me conquers my animosity and my enmity toward people, that evidences to me that God's love is in me. Right? Because I know I couldn't do this. It's the Holy Spirit who has done this. Now, I'm 60 years old. Any of you who are 60 or older will understand what I'm saying if you grew up in the South. I grew up in a small town in Georgia in the 50s and in the 60s. I knew what it was to be instilled in racial prejudices. All of you who are 60 or above know what I'm talking about. Our generation, hopefully, will be the last one that will understand that. But I grew up, and I am a product of my culture, of my upbringing. And my upbringing included being prejudiced against black folks. That's the way I was taught. It was the way it was. But let me tell you something today. That God's grace and the spirit of love within me has conquered those prejudices. And that's an evidence to me that I'm born again into His family. Because His love conquers all. And others of you could get up and testify to the same thing. You may have been taught something, but you get to a point you say, this is not right. This is against the Word of God. This is not what God desires and God wants. And the love of God conquers those prejudices. And then in verse 17, Jesus loving others through us is the perfection of love. Now, John really gets to the heart of it now. Look at that. Now, let me say it again. Jesus loving others through us is the perfection of love. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because He is, as He is, so are we in this world. Your love, or God's love in you, is perfected as you and I love other people. Now listen to that. It's not as you love God, but it's as you love other people. Because, the next verse tells us, you cannot separate your love for God and your love for one another. You can't separate it. Look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Love is the perfection. Loving others is the perfection of our love for God. Paul says in Romans 13, 9, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we love our Heavenly Father, we must love His children also. You cannot separate the two. You can't say, I love God and hate your brother and not be a liar. It cannot be. 
If you love God, you've got to love your brother. There's no way you can hate in your heart and have the love of God in your life. You cannot separate it. You see, we want to compartmentalize our lives. And we want to have this air that's our love for God and another air that's our love for people. And if that falls short, and I can hate some people here, but as long as I love God, everything's good. God says, no, you can't do that. Your love for me and your love for people cannot be separated. If you don't love your brother, you don't really love me. See that? That's hard truth, isn't it? But it's truth. If we allow hatred to abide in our hearts, it's an evidence that we do not have the spirit of love, which is the Holy Spirit, within us. And then in verse 21, we're commanded to love our Christian family. John is relating the words of Jesus. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, he could have been referring to Jesus' words in Matthew 22 when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the foremost commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. For on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He could have been referring to that command of Jesus. Or he might have been referring to what Jesus said in John 13:34, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Or he might have been referred to the command Jesus gave in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Or maybe he was referring to the commandment Jesus gave in John 15, 17. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, how many times does Jesus need to say it? We are to love one another. And when we love one another, it is a vital sign that we are born again into God's family because the Spirit of God who is in us enables us to love. When we do not love, it is evidence that we are not joined to God's Spirit and therefore we are spiritually dead and He is not our Heavenly Father and we are not a part of His family. That's what John is saying. That's why this test is so valid. I want to conclude with a true story about a man by the name of Mitsuo Fushida. Mitsuo Fushida. He was the man who led the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941. Sometime after the war, a few years after the war, this man heard that one of his friends had been released from the prison of war camp in the United States, and he wanted to talk to him and find out about his treatment. And so he met his friend, and, and he said, tell me, how did they treat you? He said, well, you know, it was a prison of war camp, but there was this one girl. She was around 20 years of age. She would come to the prison camp, and, and she would say, is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything I can get for you? What can I do to help you? And I asked this girl one time, why are you doing this? And she said, because the Japanese soldiers killed my parents. And he said, that, I didn't understand that. We would always been taught in our culture that somebody who kills your parents is a sworn enemy. And you must do what you can to kill them. 
And she began to explain to us that her parents were missionaries on one of the islands in the South Pacific. And when the Japanese invaded that island, they found her parents and accused them of being spies. And so they told them they were going to execute them. But the parents said, will you give us 30 minutes to pray before you do it? And the Japanese soldiers gave them 30 minutes. And she said, yes, I was angry and I was bitter at first. But then one night I started thinking, what did they pray during those 30 minutes? And then I realized and was confident that they prayed that God would forgive those who were about to kill them. That was the love of God. And she said, God's love conquered my animosity and my enmity and my hatred for the Japanese. So I came here to minister to you for the love of Christ. And that stuck in in Mitsuo's mind and he began to ponder this whole thing about what kind of love is that that conquers such hatred. And he got a, a message from General MacArthur who wanted to see him at the headquarters there in Japan. And so he was on his way to to see General MacArthur, and he got off the subway, and this guy was handing out tracks. And so he took one of the tracks, and as he looked at it, he was immediately struck by the title, I was a Japanese prisoner of war. And so he opened it up, and he began to talk to this fellow who was telling the story, had been one of the pilots on Doolittle's crew that went and bombed Tokyo. And this guy talked about when he was on his way to bomb Tokyo that uh, he saw this Japanese frigate out there and this fisherman on it. And just because he hated the Japanese so bad, and he said his hatred began on December the 7th, 1941. And as Mitsuo read that, he thought, that's the same day. He must have been there when I was leading the attack. And because of his hatred, this pilot with Doolittle's group sprayed this this ship, this fishing boat, because he was hostile and angry. But his plane gave out of fuel before he got to back to his destination, so he had to ditch it and he was captured. And because he'd fired on this fishing boat, he was treated as a and considered a criminal of war. And he was tortured and he was mistreated there in the Japanese prisoner of war camp. And this man says one night, he was thinking back over his childhood upbringing in Sunday school and church and thinking about hatred was not the way of Jesus, but love was the way of Jesus. And so he asked the guards if he could have a Bible. And they gave him a Bible, but they said you can only have it for three weeks. And he began to devour the Scriptures and he began to read them. And the Spirit of God got a hold of him and saved him. And the love of Christ conquered the hatred and enmity he had toward those Japanese guards. And he began to show love for those guards where he before had shown contempt and hatred. And the Japanese guards took notice. And they said, what kind of book is this that has such an effect on a man's life? And so when the three weeks came, they didn't take it back. He got to keep it. 
Well, he eventually, of course, was released. And he became a missionary and went back to Japan to proclaim the gospel. So as Shuo read this, again, he was thinking, what kind of book is this? I need to get this book. And he happened to open up the newspaper, Japanese newspaper, and he saw a Japanese editorial. And the writer was saying that if you've never read this book called the Bible, you as a Japanese need to read it. Read the first 30 pages and surely God will say something to you. And so he said he took that as a divine call that he needed to get a Bible and read it. So he got a Bible and he began to read that Bible. And as he was reading through Luke's Gospel and he got to the crucifixion of Christ, and there he read the words of Jesus, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And with those words, the Spirit of God reached down and saved him and took the hatred and enmity in his heart and turned it to love. You see how the love of God bears testimony? How it bears witness? How it conquers hatred and enmity? How it enables people to change? These people gave clear evidence They were born again because the hatred they had was replaced by the conquering love of Christ. Did you pass the test? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that everybody in the church is not like me. I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor, and our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections, uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area... Uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.